Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, here today to discuss with you what else? The transaction that just won't stop putting out news items. And these ones are really very interesting today. If you don't know what I'm talking about with respect to Microsoft, Xbox, and Activision, please do check out our Microsoft Times Activision playlist where this will be the 36th video. Obviously, we've talked about it in many, many different ways and we have a lot of content to go over. Today, however, we've got a very interesting story because Microsoft is now commenting on aspects of the deal which are a little bit unusual in the public eye and in all honesty, not necessarily in the way that I would recommend. Remembering, of course, if you've been following this playlist or virtual legality in general, that I still think the deal will go through, that it should go through the way antitrust regulations are generally read in these various jurisdictions around the world. But Microsoft has taken a more public stance than is the norm for their company or any other company, primarily because I would argue of the resistance they are seeing from Sony and Sony's efforts to either curtail the deal or otherwise get concessions from Microsoft, especially on the availability of the Call of Duty brand. Now, before we get into the details, I do want to remind folks that this is a supporter-sponsored channel. We cannot do it without viewers and listeners like you. If you're interested in what we have to say, if you like this kind of content, please do check out our Utreon or our Patreon for support. We also have YouTube memberships, and at Utreon and Patreon, there is a sponsorship tier where you can sponsor a specific episode per month, as Falcus Vipus here has done. And very special thanks to Falcus Vipus, who has been a continued supporter of the channel. We very much appreciate it. So if you're interested in that, please do check that out. Now, as for the state of play for Microsoft times Activision, no pun intended with, of course, Sony's name for their directs, as it were, we can see a number of things happening that Microsoft has to be taking as a good sign for the transaction. Here in Yahoo Entertainment, we see coverage of an interview with Take-Two Interactive CEO Strauss Zelnick basically backing up Microsoft. They have a little paragraph here that says, Zelnick didn't see competition as a threat. Instead, he views Microsoft as an ally and its impending acquisition of Activision is a good move for the industry at large. And they quote him, ultimately, the consumer votes. And if we create great hits, which is our business, then consumers will show up and no one can take that away from us. The entertainment business is the antithesis of a fungible commoditized business. Every title stands alone. So it sort of doesn't compete with anything else, and yet it's highly competitive in a way. In other words, we compete with everything, and we compete with nothing. You can't replace one of our titles with another title. Now, if you might recall when we initially covered some of the publicized comments that we saw from publishers and hardware producers like Sony to the Brazilian regulatory review process, you might remember uh, that I jokingly laughed that Bandai Namco was actually the ones that responded much in the same way you just heard Mr. Zelnick respond, which is effectively, we publish video games, each one is different, there is no competition, nothing is interchangeable with anything else, so you don't need to worry about it, regulators. And we thought that was a funny way of thinking about things, but both Bandai Namco and Mr. Zelnick here aren't exactly wrong. And in terms of this acquisition, it's important to note that no reasonable-minded regulator would actually look at the publishing market, the developer market of video games, and decide that Microsoft's purchase of Activision put them into some kind of monopoly position in and of itself, right? And that's one of the reasons they succeeded in Brazil is that Brazil looked at the particular situation amongst development and publishing and online advertising and these markets where Microsoft does have only a small portion of them. Activision has an equally small portion. You combine them, they're really not any trouble for those markets. But you might also recall that when we were talking about this particular question, would the regulators pass this deal back when it was first announced, 
one of the things that I said was that if a regulator were so inclined to seek to change this deal or otherwise block it, then one of the things they could look at were submarkets of what Microsoft provided, in particular, subscription services like Game Pass and cloud services, which of course Microsoft as a big tech company does have some inherent structural advantages in, at least compared to the Sonys of the world. And we'll see exactly how Microsoft deals with those things in just a minute. But with statements like this, with the Brazilian win behind them, which if you're interested in more detail, we did cover in an earlier video on this series, Brazil approves, and we covered it in great detail, going through all of the paragraphs that they actually looked at, I think it's 300, uh, in coming to the conclusion that there would be no restrictions and that the deal were simply approved with respect to the Brazilian jurisdiction, well, Microsoft does have some things to say to them. And I'm going to thank uh, here Hazador Gaiman, uh, who actually published this particular set of images for what Microsoft's statements are. I have to admit, there are a couple of documents that look roughly like this. We're also going to see some from Tom Warren at The Verge. Uh, and I don't know exactly what their origin is, but they're certainly being reported on in various outlets as legitimate. We have no reason to doubt their legitimacy. They appear to be something like bullet point messaging statements uh, that Microsoft PR is putting out to games journalism outlets. Hey, Phil Spencer, Microsoft PR, if you're watching this video, and you might well be, add me to the list. I'd be happy to get these things, analyze them, talk about them, uh, because they're very interesting to see Microsoft going out with public-facing statements in some cases for ongoing regulatory reviews. That's just crazy. That's like a corporation if they were under arrest for something. If we pretend it was a simple criminal trial actually going out to the press and making its case while the jury was deliberating. Um, and that's really what's so interesting about what Microsoft is doing here. They clearly think they have the right of it all, that they have the right of way, that these regulators aren't going to push against them too hard. And the other thing to keep in mind here is that Microsoft knows a lot more than us. Not just because they're a big corporation with a bunch of people, honestly. Corporations are still people. Sometimes those people know less than us, honestly. But because they are having direct interactions with these regulators, right? They've been talking with the Federal Trade Commission now for months. They've been talking now with the European Commission because they have filed their documents there. They have been talking with the CMA in the UK and New Zealand and all these other jurisdictions. They have a feel for what regulators are on about, what they are not. And they know that. So everything that you see, we kind of have to take as a proxy for what they think are their weaknesses, what they think are their strengths. And that's important because right now, Microsoft is engaged in a public relations kind of war that I didn't see coming, right? We can all admit errors here. I didn't see this going so public between Microsoft and Xbox and Sony and PlayStation. And I don't know that Sony thought they would go that public, especially at the time when they were answering Brazil. You might recall in that earlier video that one of the things I said that was interesting about what Sony did was that they deliberately said streaming and subscriptions, those aren't separate markets. They're the same as buy to play. This is all one big console gaming market. Yes, we think Call of Duty is important. That's what got reported on so much, but Sony didn't go for the jugular. Now it appears that they're trying to do that a little bit more, especially with the CMA, which has suggested that they might be willing to bifurcate those markets and look at things a little differently. Before we get to that, though, let's take a look at what Microsoft said about the Brazilian decision. And we'll talk a little bit about corporate messaging and rhetoric, right? Because Microsoft does a good job of explaining the strengths in what Brazil found for it, uh, but maybe skips a little bit about the weaknesses. So that'll be a fun thing to do. And let's take a look at it. I apologize for the resolution here. This was the copy that was provided uh, through that Twitter exchange. Twitter does some things uh, to some views, but I think we can still read it together. On October 5th, 
the Superintendent General of the Brazilian Competition Authority, what we have generally been calling CADE, approved the Microsoft Activision deal without restrictions. While the CADE tribunal may ask to review the case within 15 days, they can elevate it and still look at it. We don't think that'll happen. This decision is aligned with Microsoft's view that the proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard will not harm consumers or competition. And then they link to the various opinions. One interesting thing about that link is if you actually go and look for the document where we found it last, where everybody has linked it, it says it's been canceled. <laughs> so we actually had to go and use the, the magic of time travel technology, the internet's Wayback Machine, to go and look at this. But we do want to put the grain of salt here. When we're going to refer to this Brazilian Cade decision, it's possible they removed it internally because they see some kind of logic or charting error and they intend to republicize it. So we'll take that into account, even though I doubt anything more than a portion of a percent of this document as they originally published it is likely to change. So we'll be able to talk about it at length. SGK conducted an in-depth review of the markets and the impact of the transaction in Brazil. Now they're going to say the right thing here. And if you go and you look at my discussion of the Brazilian document, you'll find one of the most interesting things that kind of slips through the cracks in how this is being reported is that each of these jurisdictions is only focused on the citizens within their jurisdiction. That's what jurisdiction means. They have power over that territorial area. They are not evaluating everything in the world. And one of the things that I will call Microsoft out on a little bit is that one of the major portions of the Brazilian finding is that not to put too fine a point on it, the Brazilians don't play Activision games as best as Cade could find. Once you have established that Call of Duty and Activision games in general aren't very exciting to the consumers in that jurisdiction, this is the world's easiest thing to pass without restriction. So Brazil is a bit of a unique case. And when folks ask me, will that drive other jurisdictions? I would say that it is very unlikely to do so. One of the reasons Microsoft goes out with a statement like this, otherwise gives it to journalistic outlets for them to report on, is to help try to establish a narrative that they want the FTC and the EU and the CMA to follow. Hey, these are smart things that Brazil did. You should take them into account. First bullet from Microsoft. The video gaming industry is competitive. Microsoft and Activision are relatively small players in game development and publishing, game distribution via almost all channels, and online advertising and merchandising. Microsoft's Xbox is an important competitor in the console hardware space, but it faces stiff competition from Sony, market-leading PlayStation, and from Nintendo's growing presence in Brazil. I don't think anybody would argue with this. If you can get a regulator, remember setting the markets is so important to establishing whether there's going to be a competition or monopoly problem. If you can get the regulator to say, all we're interested in is game development and publishing and maybe a little bit on console sales, then chances are you're going to find that the Microsoft Activision deal is just fine. Second bullet. There is no credible risk that the combination would lead to competition concerns in any of the markets in which Microsoft and Activision Blizzard compete. The company's combined shares in these areas of competitive overlap are low, below 20% in all potential segments, and multiple strong competitors remain active. The combined market shares would not reach the thresholds at which competition concerns could arise in Brazil. And again, they're talking about the fact that Brazil mostly found 10% publishing here, 10% publishing over there. Combined, it's 20% and change. We're not overly worried about a market participant having 20% of the relative market power. And they're right in that. Again, if you think about this in terms of the definition, the only place where Microsoft starts to get a little bit worried is if we're just looking at consoles, where you primarily just have the PlayStation, the Switch, and the Xbox series, whatever, uh, then you start to get into potentially having a little bit more Microsoft power. And if you start talking about Game Pass and separating it out from the PlayStation Pluses of the world, at least as it existed before Sony's big swap this summer, then you could start to potentially get worried. Brazil doesn't do that, 
we'll see a little bit of what they talk about in their own document in just a second to kind of set off some of the stuff that Microsoft says here. Brazil doesn't do that because nobody cares about Call of Duty and Activision in their particular jurisdiction, according to Kay. Third bullet, no customer or input foreclosure resulting from the acquisition. Here's where we start to get a little bit corporate messagey. In the areas where Microsoft and Activision have complementary capabilities, for example, digital distribution of games for consoles for Microsoft, game publishing for Activision, and publishing games for Activision, and in-game advertising for Microsoft, the merged entity would not have the incentive to either stop making third-party game publisher games available on Xbox, which we can all agree to, right? Nothing about this deal suggests that Microsoft isn't going to have other third parties put games on their box. This isn't about foreclosing that part of the market. Or two, as Microsoft describes it here, stop licensing Activision Blizzard's game content to rival console platforms. Microsoft has said that there is no incentive as found by Cade for Microsoft to stop licensing Activision Blizzard's game content to rival console platforms. I don't feel like that is an accurate description of what Cade found. So, so keep that in your pocket. Put a pin in that. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Cade's analysis in Brazil shared a number of positions. Activision Blizzard's game portfolio is strong, in particular Call of Duty, but there is no evidence that Call of Duty is essential to rival game distributors. Cade ultimately found there's no evidence in the file that the company has market power in the game publishing segment or that their titles can be considered indispensable for the commercial success of a given console or digital game distribution platform, especially from the perspective of the Brazilian consumer. Again, they did include, they didn't cut out, they didn't become misinformers with respect to this quote, but you do have to highlight that the Brazilian consumer is the most important thing in what Brazil found. Or as Microsoft puts it, Call of Duty is an important franchise, but rivals could still compete even without access to it. And of course, the Nintendo Switch argument was the strongest one that Brazil's Cade made there, saying the Nintendo Switch could exist without Call of Duty. What are you talking about, Sony? Microsoft would have clear incentives to continue licensing Activision Blizzard games to third-party consoles and other platforms. As you could probably imagine, since I asked you to put a pin in this earlier concept of whether or not they would have incentives to stop licensing to other consoles, this is again a little bit dicey in terms of what Microsoft has highlighted here. So they highlight this particular quote. Cade believes that the fact that Call of Duty has traditionally been a cross-platform game series has a significant influence on the number of users and the sales performance of the franchise. After all, it is a logical inference that the greater the number of hardware platforms on which a given game is playable, the greater the base of potential users and purchasers of that game. Given this context, it is likely that, at least in the short term, Call of Duty would lose a significant amount of revenue and players if its games were no longer offered to users of the most popular console in the world. In fact, such a hypothetical scenario could not only negatively impact the franchise's numbers, but also favor other multi-platform games similar to Call of Duty that remain on PlayStation, such as the competing series Battlefield or Rainbow Six. So basically what they're saying here is in terms of Call of Duty's popularity, it doesn't make sense to pull it off platforms. No reasonable person would argue that point, right? If Microsoft decides to not make something multi-platform, like for instance, Starfield, it is not to make sure that Starfield itself gets into the hands of the most users. Obviously, if you want Starfield to be played by as many people as possible, you put it on the PlayStation, you figure out some way, cloud or otherwise, to put it on the Nintendo Switch, you put it on refrigerators, you do the things that Bethesda and Activision have generally done because they've been in the situation of publishers. Microsoft reporting on this as if it's some kind of third-party ghost observer, as Microsoft would have clear incentives to continue licensing Activision Blizzard games, as if they are not in control of what gets licensed is a little bit disingenuous in and of itself, but also 
there are more paragraphs after this one that suggest that this is just about Call of Duty, right? We understand intuitively. You want Call of Duty to be played by more, you put it on more platforms. You take it off one of those platforms, Call of Duty is going to be played by fewer people. You look at what's the highest selling games on in gaming in any given year, it's multi-platform games for the most part because they have more of an audience to sell into. But Microsoft, after this merger, will have different incentives. And that's where reasonable minds can differ. And that's where we're going to get into some potential fighting with the CMA, the UK, and potentially the EU, which is where Microsoft is really concerned and probably why they're making these steps right now. The next bullet, rivals could still compete even without access to Activision's catalog. SGK mentioned Nintendo Switch as an example of rival console that currently does not have access to Activision Blizzard content in Brazil, with the exception of a few small titles, but it's continued to grow successfully. And then they give the Nintendo Switch quote. I actually think that's a great argument. If you're inclined to say, get out of here with that Sony, Nintendo Switch can survive without access to Activision titles for the most part is a great argument. It's a great argument. And the last bullet here, the main objective of Kate is to protect competition in Brazil and the welfare of Brazilian consumers, not the private interests of specific competitors. We don't need to reiterate this, but I have long said in looking at Apple versus Epic and looking at this particular case that that is what the antitrust laws of basically every jurisdiction are designed to provide. We care about competition. We think competing firms going after that consumer dollar can make things cheaper, can make things better in quality. But that doesn't mean that we're interested in protecting any given one of those competitors because that's not competition. So Brazil is right there if you're inclined to, to look at this from that type of regulatory perspective. And yes, in terms of my biases, I'm basically on Brazil's side of this particular question. Then I think that that's all going to work for you. But we do have to at least comment on what Microsoft has said here, right? They said, Cade found that there's no incentive to stop licensing games to other platforms. Cade found that Call of Duty would be harmed if we license it to other platforms. Yes and no, right? First and foremost, as I have said a number of times now, what Brazil found is that Call of Duty and Activision games are not popular in Brazil, right? Let's look at all of these various years. This isn't the same as the US chart. It's just not a Brazilian focused uh, kind of company. And so we're not overly worried about it. Makes total sense for the Brazilian regulatory body. But when we actually start looking at incentives, let's see what SGK says about this, right? First, we have the quote that Xbox used. Hey, we believe that the Call of Duty franchise has traditionally been so successful because it's cross-platform. The very next paragraph, right, which Microsoft just told you, hey, we're not going to have any incentives to withhold anything, right? Like that's what they want to go out to the public with. Very next paragraph, despite this, says Cade, one cannot rule out the possibility that Microsoft may deem potentially profitable to adopt an, exclusive, uh, an exclusivity strategy on Activision Blizzard games, even if a decision in this direction could result in the sacrifice of a relevant part of its sales, users, and even the Call of Duty popularity. This is because, in theory, such a strategy could contribute to boosting Xbox sales, expanding the Game Pass subscriber base, and strengthening the network effects in the Microsoft ecosystem. Remember that term networking effects, because that's what's going to be essentially a potential philosophical difference between regulatory agencies. Two things are happening with these regulators. One, you're going to see Brazil say, well, we don't have to worry about this so much because it's not foreclosing anybody. We don't need to worry about cloud so much because it's so nascent and it doesn't have a lot of adoption. Other regulators, including some of the things that we have as noises from the Federal Trade Commission here in the United States, could say, well, it's our job to get in front of things and not just wait for them to become monopolies and restrictions. Now, I don't think that there's enough in a nascent marketplace like cloud computing and the kinds of things that Xbox wants to do with cloud software to actually get in the middle of that, certainly historically not for these regulators. 
But you can see how a reasonable mind could differ and say, well, if you think there's a possibility it goes in this direction, maybe we get out in front of it. Cade here says, hey, Microsoft could have an incentive. And then they give a little shade to PlayStation. You remember this if you watched this earlier video because of that. They say investment in exclusive content, which is what Activision Blizzard could become, is and always has been very important for the competitive dynamics in the console segment. We understand that traditionally, historically, consoles have separated themselves by buying exclusivity. Here, it's just that larger. They bought the whole freaking publisher rather than just getting exclusivity for a specific game. And then they say exclusive content was most likely one of the main factors responsible for positioning the PlayStation as a leader in the world console market for more than two decades, a leadership that continues to this day. Now, Brazil and Kate are setting up there to say, Sony, you don't need our help throughout the rest of this document. But one could easily look at that and say, yes, the tradition here is that you make these things exclusive. And if you're inclined to regulate Microsoft, you say, hey, look, what did you guys do with Bethesda? What did you say about Starfield? You've already tipped your hand as to what your standard modus operandi is for a purchase of this type. Why should we believe you aren't going to do that? And so Microsoft going out and saying they found that we have no incentive isn't what I would call entirely accurate. Paragraph 341, with the acquisition of a publisher such as Activision Blizzard and considering the theoretical risk of the company's content becoming exclusive to Xbox, it is likely that the eventual conclusion of the transaction will give Microsoft a considerable competitive advantage in the segment. Now that's not anything that's necessarily wrong. You are allowed to go compete. You are allowed to go get a competitive advantage. Most regulators, I would argue, are going to see things that way. But you might, if you're so inclined, look at that entire situation and say, well, that's an untoward competitive advantage, right? When you're looking at all of this, they say, hey, you're going to get a big kind of advantage for selling Game Pass, for selling computing. And we don't think that's a problem because, hey, Call of Duty Activision Brazil, but others might which leads us into really, what did Microsoft just say? So if you go and you look at our Virtual Legality Live, London's calling out Microsoft. We talk about the CMA's preliminary findings. They just published the whole thing. I skimmed it. I didn't see anything that was materially different, uh, but they could have changes in cross-references and scientific evidence and things like that. And that has caused people to comment on what's happening in the UK a little bit more. Also, because Microsoft put out a statement. Now we're going to look at Christopher Dring's article on Game Industry Biz with respect to this. He did a great job. I really like this article. He said something that a lot of people ask me every day, really. And he says the following, the CMA has the ability to block this deal globally. That's why it's proving to be such a battleground. And I want to give Christopher Dring full credit. I think he's a smart guy. I think he does a good job of reporting on these things. I, I think he's being a little colloquial with what he means by that, right? And you might've heard me in other videos say effectively, no, these jurisdictions outside the U.S., with the exception of King and where they're operating and exactly what the European Commission does with these various things, uh, doesn't allow them in general to stop the deal from happening, right? And this is getting into kind of the weeds, the inside baseball stuff of the legalities of it, right? At the fundamental level, we are talking about Microsoft going to the shareholders of Activision and paying them X amount of dollars and then having all the equity owned by them. And that's a process that is separate from their sales. It's a separate from their making Xboxes or Game Pass games or anything else. Generally speaking, the jurisdictions where those companies are located are the ones that can control this thing. Um, and they can block it uh, through the court systems or otherwise. But what I think Christopher Dring means here is that the UK is a big enough market 
with a big enough market presence for Xbox and Microsoft in general, right? If they disapprove of this deal and you want to sell Windows into the jurisdiction, there could be a problem there, depending on how things are organized, depending on exactly what happens at the bottom line for a deal of this type. And Microsoft is not going to want to have any of these major jurisdictions, generally speaking, the US, the EU, the UK, probably China, to actually go and say, no, this isn't allowed here. And remembering that these regulators can control the jurisdictions uh, within their territory, they could say, Microsoft, that's fine. You want to be Microsoft Activision, you're no longer allowed to do X, Y, and Z here. Uh, and it may be totally, right? We just are not going to allow this. You are now anti-competitive, you're monopolistic, we can cause problems for you. Uh, that is a kind of block because Microsoft will not want that to happen. They will not want that to happen and they will sue over it if it's attempted, uh, right? So when we talk about these things, block means one thing to a lawyer, which says, okay, these regulators can't actually stop them through a legal mechanism necessarily. But we're talking about Brazil, for instance. Brazil, if they said, no, absolutely not, this can't be allowed, Microsoft could say, okay, well, we're not going to participate in that territory anymore. Uh, we're not going to, we're not going to sell into, or in other cases where we've seen other tech companies, we're going to keep doing it and you can find us and we'll see if we make more money than you can find us uh, and have that conversation with them as well. So that's generally the authority that these various parties have if you're not operating uh, within them directly, but because it's such a problem because you don't want to do that if you're Microsoft, then the practicalities of the situation are if they throw up some kind of barrier, Microsoft's going to need to solve that, either with a concession, what they call undertakings in the United Kingdom, or with some more draconian means going through court systems or otherwise. So the CMA is important. The UK is an important jurisdiction. Uh, Microsoft is not going to want to go with a deal that is not approved by their authorities. And I think that's what Christopher Dring means here. More than they can stop it from happening completely. More like they can stop it from practically happening. Now, as for a reminder of what the CMA is concerned about here, I just pulled up a section of this, their final document. And Compare it to what we just saw in Brazil. So this is kind of the ending. They're talking about cloud services, but this equally applies to what they found with respect to Game Pass and subscription services. And let's start at paragraph 285. Uh, don't be a lawyer, kids. The CMA believes that acquiring ABK's content could change Microsoft's incentive to engage in foreclosure strategies using its ecosystem, which is not what Brazil found against which is me being a lawyer and suggesting that Brazil didn't actually talk about this. You saw the in theory in, parent, uh, in parentheses, they didn't feel they needed to, right? If we think about this in another kind of trial context, what Brazil said was nobody likes Call of Duty, nobody likes Activision. All of this is a little bit perfunctory by the time we get to the end and we're talking about these different delivery mechanisms because nothing can drive us to fining against Microsoft because we're not talking about things that are a major concern. Call of Duty, Activision, presumably much more of a significant concern for the United Kingdom jurisdiction. And so this, in this particular uh, document, the CMA finds, yeah, we think their incentives could change. For the reasons set out above, the CMA believes that ABK's content is important to gamers and Microsoft could use it to attract more users to its cloud gaming services platform. And again, you could apply that to its console space or its Game Pass service. This would make a foreclosure strategy. They say nothing, nothing that we own will go anywhere else. Using Microsoft's broader ecosystem more effective, which could incentivize Microsoft to engage in the foreclosure strategies described above. Now you hear a lot of coulds there. This could happen, this could happen. Remember, this is their phase one report. This is effectively the Federal Trade Commission, the US or the European Commission doing their preliminary analysis before they decide to do something in more depth. That means that even though this report has been issued, this is only the halfway point. 
for the United Kingdom and the CMA. They are still looking at this. The jury is still deliberating and Microsoft makes public comments about it. Paragraph 286, moreover, the CMA considers that the existence of strong network effects, there's the term again, as described earlier, also increased Microsoft's incentive to engage in the foreclosure strategies described above post-merger. Hey, you know, everything in the digital space, we now know how Facebook works. We now know how YouTube works. We now know how Twitter works. Everything in the digital space has this network effects concept. And we at the CMA in the UK look at this and say, well, if you can foreclose everything of value from a competing subscription service or a competing cloud service, we could imagine a situation in which you snowball, right? Well, you're the place to go for games and then nobody can compete with you because of networking effects. Now, you don't have to agree with this. I would not be separating out the Game Pass subscription service model from the pay-to-play model, from the cloud services model, because I don't believe they aren't substitutes for each other. I believe that's one big market. But if you're a regulator, and you think that there's something that's a problem with this deal, kind of just intuitively, this is the kind of attack that we have long said could be made. So the CMA looks at this and says, yeah, they can change their incentives. We think they might. An interesting paragraph here, for those of you that are interested in Microsoft's internal conversations, is 287 that says this strategy of foreclosure, of not putting things on other platforms in order to increase our own profitability of services, is consistent with Microsoft's own internal documents. That's the only sentence we're going to get of import here because everything else was snipped. Everything else was removed as essentially commercial trade secrets. One Microsoft internal document shows that the same internal document explains that according to that document. And that's all we get. But the CMA is looking at documentation that they have had access to because of their regulatory review process. It says Microsoft internally at some level has been talking about foreclosing access to the stuff that they are buying in order to enhance the market share and potential profitability of their services, whether it's console or Game Pass or cloud, at some level. And that's something that is a justifiable basis for further review. Remembering that this isn't a final determination by the CMA. They're just saying, we're going to need to look at this again. We're going to need to look at barriers. We're going to need to look at how things are treated. And what we're concerned about, as they say in their final conclusion, is console supply distribution through subscription, and cloud gaming. That's an important piece of this puzzle as well because none of that matches up with the markets identified by Brazil, which were primarily development and publishing and online advertising. And though they talked about consoles a little bit, they didn't really care because again, just like Call of Duty and Activision isn't popular in Brazil, Xbox isn't so popular in Brazil. Sony has a commanding lead. I believe they had it at 60% of the market or something along those lines. So by the time you're getting to the conclusions in the Brazil document, the actual jurisdiction of Brazil, eh, we don't need to worry about it because Sony is so strong. Here, the CMA says, we're going to look at those separate markets and these are the ones we're concerned about. That separates itself from Brazil. Now, as you can imagine, Microsoft doesn't love this. If a regulator wants to find for Microsoft, they can use some of the rhetoric that Brazil put forward, including, I think, the brilliant argument about the Nintendo Switch and some other things that we raised in our earlier videos. But if you're inclined to go against them, this is the kind of thinking that could fuel the Federal Trade Commission or could fuel the European Commission in saying, hey, uh, we've also got issues here. Now, Microsoft comes out swinging. Here's an article from VGC. Microsoft accuses UK regulator of adopting Sony's complaints over Activision Blizzard deal. In September, the Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, said its inquiry into the merger between Microsoft and Activision uh, had been expanded to a second phase review to a number of antitrust concerns. 
On Wednesday, the CMA detailed its full reasoning for its concerns, which largely matches the earlier reasoning, including the impact of competition in the console game streaming and subscription spaces. Responding to the CMA's decision, Microsoft has now called the regulator's concerns misplaced and claimed that it, quote unquote, adopts the Sony complaints without the appropriate level of critical review. Now, if you're into if you're into YouTube, if you're into YouTube drama, you're probably not thinking in your head, oh snap. But if you're a corporate lawyer and you're talking about trillion dollar companies talking over international boundaries without the appropriate level of critical review directed to a regulator that is currently engaged in evaluating your deal, honestly is crazy. It's crazy, right? The UK is not done reviewing this. They are a jury deliberating. And Microsoft just came out and said, nah, this shouldn't even go to second level review. You have adopted Sony's complaints without doing your jobs. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm not saying that's even wrong. We commented much the same, but we are not Microsoft and we aren't currently trying to get a near $70 billion deal through. Uh, so it's one thing for me to say that separate. It's one thing for your favorite Twitter or YouTube commenter to say that separate. It is quite another thing for the company to come out with its public facing statements and say, you didn't do your jobs. You didn't do your jobs. When the CMA in the UK really can cause massive problems uh, for Microsoft and Activision, even if they're wrong, right? Let's say that Nobody agrees with them, including their own court system. That's still a process. That is still a period of time. That is still lawyers getting paid. And that is still Activision, not in Microsoft's hands. Uh, and so this is quite the thrust and parry and repost and whatever other sword or fencing terms you want to use here. And it honestly took my breath away a little bit. Now, fortunately, even though Microsoft appears to be distributing these kind of comments to journalistic outlets, and emails or whatever, and we don't have them directly, we do get people kind of releasing these things. So I do want to give uh, Tom Warren credit here. I meant to bring up his tweet uh, in this particular context, but Tom Warren has been kind of putting these out there uh, for us to take a look at. He actually has the document where we get the misplaced kind of language. And we can take a look at this just like we looked at Microsoft's Brazil talking points. First talking point on the CMA. Sony PlayStation has been the largest console platform for over 20 years, with an installed base of over 150 million consoles, making it larger than Nintendo and more than double the size of Xbox. Now, I personally think even in the worst case scenario for Microsoft, the CMA is not going to find a monopoly in console manufacture. I really don't think that. Sony is a good, solid competitor in that market. I don't think they're going to see a substantially lessened competition for consoles themselves, uh, but Microsoft has to kind of try to parry that argument by saying, look, PlayStation has a bunch of PlayStations out there. What are you talking about? Second bullet, Sony engages in conduct today, which is reflective of its market power in console gaming, including increasing prices of its consoles without fear of losing market share and SNP. We don't know what the SNP is. It could be anything, uh, right? We saw with, for example, the, the Fortnite case, Apple versus Epic, it was accidentally leaked that Sony had a whole kind of rubric by which you had to pay them if you were going to have free-to-play games and you're going to sell currency and what the time was on the various consoles and you actually had to respond to audits and all this various kind of thing. That could be what's referenced here. There could be other things or policies or procedures that Sony is engaged in that represents them having market power uh, within this market. But my God, increasing the prices of the consoles, Right. I called it out as stupid when it happened, but I also called out the fact that it is the quintessential test of market power, right? And Microsoft is so right to bring it up in this bullet point because how you test market power at these regulatory levels is what would happen to a company 
that increase the price of their goods uh, for a non-transitory amount of time, so it looks like it's permanent, would they lose or gain money? And Sony would never in a million years make that move if they didn't think it was going to gain them money. Sony put a flag up, held it up with a neon sign, and fired a flare at it that said, we have market power in all of these jurisdictions, including, notably, the UK. And Microsoft is right on its game to call that out here. Third bullet, the suggestion that the incumbent market leader with clear and enduring market power could be foreclosed by the third largest provider as a result of losing access to one title is not credible. There are more than 4,000 games available on PlayStation Alone. One of the things that I really like about these documents is that it sounds like Microsoft is trying to tell everybody how bad they are at making games and how great Sony is, uh, which is quite, quite the turn of events. Right? Now, this is, again, a little bit of corporate speak, right? because the concern we have is not yesterday. If we're a regulator that's concerned about this, the concern is not how does Sony exist right now? How have they lived for 20 years? It's what happens if Activision Blizzard King becomes part of Microsoft. And what happens in these particular bullets to the console space, right? We aren't talking about Game Pass. We aren't talking about cloud services here. We're talking primarily about consoles. Now, I happen to agree with Microsoft uh, that Sony is not likely to be destroyed if all the Activision games were pulled off their consoles. In fact, I think they probably would have to respond to it in some kind of competitive way. And that's one of the reasons why I think overall the deal is something that you can be okay with if you're a fan of the gaming industry at large. But also, hey, we're only the third largest provider, but what will you be after you get Activision? What will you be in the future? What is your velocity? What is your vector? Where are you going with your particular market share? How is Game Pass for you? What is happening with these various things? Uh, and so that kind of ignores that. I wouldn't expect them to make Sony's case for them. They're trying to put out a particularly persuasive document uh, to these journalists as it is. The evidence shows that less than SNP of PlayStation's monthly active users are playing Call of Duty. Would love to know what that percentage is. Even without all of those gamers, a highly improbable outcome from a hypothetical foreclosure strategy, the PlayStation gamer base would remain significantly larger than Xbox is today. Eh. Again, it's not one for one, right? When we're talking about gaming in general, when we're talking about network effects, when you look at what the CMA could possibly be concerned with, Everybody goes over from Call of Duty, everybody buys an Xbox, and PlayStation Plus can't get off the ground, and Azure and Microsoft's tech has an advantage because you have to otherwise abide by something that they would ask for in order to get access to what is now the only service in town. That's what you're looking at from CMA's perspective. Do I think it's a strong argument? No. End of the day, I think the CMA is looking at this wrongly, and they did adopt too much of PlayStation arguments here, and I don't blame Microsoft for fighting them. I might blame them for fighting them in public and telling them that they were inept in a major publication and probably more than just that one publication. Uh, but those are their primary four here. Sony is strong, right? You can read this as Sony is strong. They don't need your help, including here bullet five, which is this kind of disingenuous argument that we said uh, that Satya Nadella put forth earlier. Since the transaction was announced, so January of this year, Sony has acquired several game studios, including Bungie, developer of the popular online game Destiny 2, which very notably has declared its independence and that Destiny 2, among other things, will be multi-platform. Unlike Microsoft and Xbox, who won't make those promises in connection with this deal, Haven Studios, which hasn't released anything, Lazangle and Savage Games, which hasn't released anything, and a minority interest in From Software, which is an investment, the developer of the biggest game of 2022, 
uh, Elden Ring. This complements Sony's existing minority shareholding in Epic Games, publisher of Fortnite, strong first-party game catalog, and extensive portfolio of exclusive arrangements with third-party publishers. Gotta mention that. There were over 280 exclusive first- and third-party titles on PlayStation in 2021, nearly five times as many as Xbox. You do have to admit, in order to make this argument in public, Microsoft really has to take that shotgun and aim it right at its feet. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they're saying PlayStation is absolutely dominating the space. And more specifically, for the Microsoft side of things, Microsoft is saying they aren't engaged in that same kind of exclusivity, right? To the extent that Microsoft seeks to win, they put it on Game Pass and they still allow you to sell it on PlayStation and that just looks better for Game Pass. So if you got those indie games, you got those third-party titles, uh, whether it's Outriders or an the favorite indie game that you otherwise have, it makes all the sense in the world for them to not make that exclusive because honestly, the price that it costs on PlayStation is an advertisement for Xbox and Game Pass. And I've seen that in my own behaviors a number of times. So those are the primary first bullet point arguments against the CMA here from Microsoft, and they don't really answer the fundamental question, which is the incentives for Game Pass, the networking effects, uh, and everything else. And starting with CMA is misplaced. We don't actually have the line here from Tom Warren uh, calling out their incompetence, so one does hope that that actually exists in these documents. Uh, VGC reports on it and includes a lot of these other quotes that we will see. You also get from Tom Warren, nor is there any basis for the idea that acquiring Call of Duty could tip subscription services in Xbox's favor. Brazil found that. Brazil found that there could be a significant competitive advantage to keeping Activision titles alone on the Game Pass service. They found that. Sony has chosen to block Game Pass from PlayStation, so it is not available on PlayStation. As all games that are available on Game Pass are also available to purchase, PlayStation gamers will continue to have the ability to buy Call of Duty on PlayStation, and doing so will still cost less than the cost of switching, Switching costs are very important to evaluating how sticky people are in any given ecosystem by buying a new Xbox console. Maybe yes, maybe no, right? Xbox is constantly trying to get Game Pass and people onto their service in a different way through televisions or through things like financing plans uh, for their console. So this is at least, again, slightly disingenuous to what's happening. And in terms of the argument that PlayStation would have Game Pass on it, I would need to know a lot more about what that deal was proposed to look like, right? We do not, as a requirement to make a complaint about regulatory concerns, about antitrust violations, require your competitor to otherwise allow you to sell your stuff in their shop, right? And you can take this in any metaphorical direction that you want. It cannot be a requirement that PlayStation has to honor its rival services on its platform in order to otherwise complain about it. Do I think Sony's right on this? I do not. But this is a completely useless type of argument for Microsoft, in my opinion, of course. Secondly, Xbox plans to bring Activision Blizzard content to its multi-game subscription Game Pass. This will benefit gamers, boosting the value of the subscription and expanding access to Activision Blizzard content. Maybe. We don't know what's going to happen with the price. We don't know what will happen with the development of the games that Activision Blizzard would have made. We don't know a lot of things. Activision Blizzard has not allowed its content to be included in third-party subscriptions in any meaningful way in the past. End clip. I don't know what that is, folks. Again, this increased competition has not been welcomed by the market leader Sony, which has elected to protect its revenues from sales of newly released games rather than offer gamers the choice of accessing them via its subscription, PlayStation Plus. So I think what Microsoft is attempting to do here is we're trying a different model, right? Because one of the things that is attractive to regulators is we're trying something different. 
It's a brand new kind of business model or a concept. Our competitors aren't doing that thing. So there's brand differentiation here that gives consumers more options. And maybe our thing dies in a fire, right? And that's okay. That's competition. But we should be able to compete on a different kind of axes uh, than our current rivals are otherwise competing. I think it's relatively effective, um, much more so than PlayStation doesn't put Game Pass on its service. But it's also not really answering the question of, okay, why should we not be cared about Game Pass? Brazil even said, you might have incentives to take this thing over uh, with Activision. A foreclosure strategy is possible, regardless of what you said in your bullet points going out to journalistic outlets. Uh, So why shouldn't we be concerned about it? Reasonable minds can differ on this. We look at it and we analyze it and we say, we think you do have the incentives. We've got internal documents to show this is the way you like to handle these things. What does that mean? Now, it's entirely possible that this document, which we don't have in its entirety, has more paragraphs that Mr. Warren or The Verge or anybody else hasn't elected to share with us. But we do have more quotes before we leave off for the day. And that is, as promised, Christopher Dring's article on Game Industry Biz, which is, as always, linked in the description and has a lot of good stuff. First of all, it summarizes how the CMA feels about these things. The CMA is concerned that the deal will harm PlayStation and other multi-game subscription services as Microsoft may withhold Activision Blizzard content from them. Yeah, the the others, not Game Pass. The body is also concerned that Microsoft may use Activision Blizzard alongside other Microsoft services to outcompete rivals such as Google, Amazon, and NVIDIA in the game streaming space. There is a realistic prospect of a substantial lessening of competition in gaming consoles, multi-game subscription services, and cloud gaming services, the firm said, in an extensive document, which again matches up with what we had already summarized in their not final uh, version of this document. They've got all these concerns. Subscriptions are a key part as well as the CMA believes it's possible, even likely that without this deal, Activision Blizzard games may have come to other subscription services too, that that's the future. And by withholding, we've changed the future in some important way uh, in that Activision Blizzard games, even though if they're not available on subscription services today, they would be in the future, especially with PlayStation Plus effectively joining the fight. The terms of streaming, the CMA's concerns are around Microsoft's potential in the market due to its ownership of the Azure cloud gaming service, plus its PC operating system. Azure is, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an overall server uh, service. In terms of the CMA's concerns over the impact on PlayStation, Microsoft says that there are numerous reasons why these concerns are misplaced. It talks about how strong Sony is. In statements shared with Game Industry Biz, Microsoft argued that the suggestion that the incumbent market leader with clear and enduring market power could be foreclosed by the third largest provider as a result of losing access to one title is not credible. That's again matching up with what we saw in the Verge documents. In short, Sony is not vulnerable to a hypothetical foreclosure strategy and the referral decision incorrectly relies on self-serving statements by Sony, which significantly exaggerate the importance of Call of Duty to it and neglect to account for Sony's clear ability to competitively respond. Again, Microsoft is telling journalists that the CMA is crazy, (laughs) that they took Sony for all that they said and that they shouldn't have done that and they didn't meet their burdens, their standards as regulators, right? They, They start out here by saying that essentially a phase two is unwarranted. These unsupported theories of harm are not sufficient to justify a reference to phase two, they said in detailed response. Microsoft on this point is wrong. I've said it time and time again on this channel and other channels. There was no question in my mind that if a regulatory body had the equivalent of a phase two concept, you look at it for a little while, you decided we need to look at it more heavily. It's a longer term, more extensive process that a $70 billion deal or near $70 billion deal, way bigger than any other deal in the history of video gaming, would be the kind of deal that would get that phase two review and deserve that phase two review in every single jurisdiction. 
Microsoft fighting on this point is suggestive of a Microsoft that wants to fight, that wants to fight the CMA, maybe wants to fight the European Commission. They are aggressive on this stuff because one, it's already over. There is a phase two already. That's not going to stop. This statement is useless uh, to anybody that's otherwise interested at the regulatory body. So you're going and you're making hay with statements like this for no reason at all, except to express to us that you think that this is completely out of bounds, right? And that goes along with a lot of these other quotes. Once again, Microsoft reiterated its intention to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation consoles, started, stated that taking Call of Duty away from PlayStation would alienate the fan base and tarnish both the Call of Duty and Xbox brands. Do you believe them? Do you believe that if Call of Duty were taken from PlayStation, it would tarnish the Xbox brand? Have you been on the internet? Microsoft, I'm sorry. I don't believe you. Microsoft made no suggestion it would also make Call of Duty available on other subscription services. We wouldn't expect it. However, the company observed that as Game Pass isn't available on PlayStation, the CMA's concerns that such a deal would tip subscription services in Xbox's favor is not accurate. Microsoft also believes that with the continued popularity of traditional buy-to-play and free-to-play models, that Game Pass will always face strong competition. I agree with that. I agree that those are all substitutes for each other and that the CMA separating out subscription services is probably wrong. It's probably a wrong market definition. I hope they come to that in phase two, but phase two is absolutely warranted in a deal of this type. And look at how Game Industry Biz actually relates what we saw as one of their arguments from what Tom Warren put out there. Game Pass isn't available on PlayStation, so Call of Duty exclusivity on Game Pass wouldn't tip their benefits to subscription services? That doesn't make any sense at all, right? What we're actually looking at is a situation in which basically the jurisdictions we have seen talk about this, the CMA in Brazil, say, yeah, we can absolutely see a world in which you try to pump up your console sales, absolutely, although we're not as concerned with that, but your subscription service sales by saying this is the only place you can get Call of Duty. And Brazil goes further and says that's how the video game system has operated for decades, is that you go and you get exclusivity, you put it on your thing, and you say this is the only place to get that thing. Sony surely knows that. That's why Brazil threw shade at them in their statement. And while a number of my commenters and Twitter followers and everybody else sh- throws shade at Sony for getting in and saying, we can't do it without Call of Duty. It's like, well, why Why have you been using exclusives for your entire history, right? They want to try to make Call of Duty a special kind of thing. And they, it is a special kind of thing in terms of just raw size, but it's a dynamic industry. These things change. Everything goes out and in with various fads. And Call of Duty will not, I know it sounds odd, will not be the top selling game forever and ever and ever. Um, And so I think Microsoft has the better part of that argument overall, but some of these claims are just specious. Yes, of course, if you make it and you foreclose it from being sold at other places, that will get you more sales of your service where you can find that particular product. Finally, they say, should any consumers decide to switch from a gaming platform that does not give them a choice as to how to pay for new games, PlayStation, to one that does, then that is the sort of consumer switching behavior that the CMA should consider welfare enhancing and indeed encourage. It is not something that the CMA should be trying to prevent. It's kind of a vague allusion to fighting walled gardens. And that's important for Microsoft's side of things because Microsoft has already thrown in with trying to eliminate the walled garden model at the mobile side, right? Microsoft wants more software, wants more access to these iOSs and these Android devices. And so they have thrown in with the Coalition for App Fairness and the Epic and the Tim Sweeney side of things to see if they can crack that open. And I think they're going to have some luck with legislatures around the world. I don't think they're going to have luck with their appeals case, but who knows? Those things could happen. And certainly courts are not unsusceptible to the political headwinds. Uh, So who knows exactly how the Ninth Circuit is going to rule on that? I think they're going to have their hearing very, very soon indeed. On streaming, basically Xbox, Microsoft says, well, 
We've got a number of infrastructure rivals talking about the Amazons of the world. And we think we're at a disadvantage. We didn't get a lot more detail there, but maybe it was provided in the document. And then basically they say, well, streaming isn't really a thing. Consumer adoption of cloud gaming remains low. Harming or degrading rival services would significantly set back adoption of the technology, protecting market-leading incumbents, Sony on console, Apple and Google on mobile, Steam on PC. Xbox has a platform which is in last place in console, seventh place in PC, and nowhere in mobile gaming has no incentive to do this. Instead, its incentive is to encourage the widespread adoption of cloud gaming technologies by as many providers as possible to encourage the major shift in consumer behavior required for cloud gaming to succeed. That we need to have a lot of cloud gaming options for people to notice cloud gaming at all. And we're well into reasonable minds can differ territory on that. Is that in fact the case? Or would Microsoft be just as happy dominating the cloud gaming field, advertising it, marketing it, spending that money to get people more invested in it, but with a huge access to a giant library, making them the one-stop shop for video game services through the cloud? I tend to lean towards the latter analysis, but again, I come out on Microsoft's side overall because I don't think those markets should be separate from console gaming in general. So Microsoft goes out there with very bold, very public statements about Brazil, which are at least a little bit corporate messaging-y, and about an active regulatory review. So folks, this deal is just the deal that keeps on giving. Microsoft is acting in a way that I 100% did not expect by taking this to the streets, as it were, and actually fighting regulators during active review. So who knows what happens with the European Commission or the Federal Trade Commission if those two deign to try to potentially block this deal or ask for concessions. We might have a street fight, and my goodness, will that be some virtual legality. Folks, if you like these conversations, if you want to support us, we can't do it without viewers and listeners like you. Please do check out our YouTube Please do check out our Patreon. As we mentioned, as Falkus Vipus has done, very special thanks for that support. If you're not interested in those, just subscribing, upvoting, downvoting, ringing the bell, leaving comments, otherwise engaging, telling YouTube that you like this kind of content, every single bit helps. Those likes especially. Folks, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.